As we turn now to study God's word, let's pause together in prayer. Let us pray. Father, as we think about your word, you are the teacher, we are your pupils. May we listen attentively to your voice. May we obey your teaching, your purposes for us. May we learn more of you, become more like you, and find that you are opening the way for us in which we should walk so that we would be lights in a world of darkness, salt in a world that is unsavory. May we show Jesus as you imprint his likeness in our hearts through your word. Amen. Arriving at the free from section in the supermarket is an invitation to myself and my fellow celiac sufferers to enjoy with confidence all the products on display. If it's labelled free from, then I know I can eat it without fear of repercussions. And I can do so without the need to carefully examine all the fine print as when I'm confronted with other dining options. I have complete freedom to eat without concern, but only if that product comes from that restricted section of the supermarket shelves. And in a sense, that's the lesson from today's text. We need to understand that freedom has form. Liberty has limits. The Apostle Paul has made his great announcement in Galatians 5 verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And now he's unpacking the implications of this great truth for us. Teaching us that living with such freedom entails certain things. The text that Charlie read for us begins, Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom. And Paul has two great purposes in his writing of his epistle. And they are that believers would neither lose their freedom nor abuse their freedom in the gospel. So let's review together what this message of Galatians means and remind ourselves what it is that we can be free from. Well, free from what? The Christian is free from sin. You will realize, especially if you've been following the midweek Bible studies in 1 John, that this statement needs qualification. What do I mean when I say the Christian is free from sin? Well, he or she is free from the penalty of sin. Again, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, we read these words. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. There is freedom from the demands of the law and religious rituals since all of these pointed to and have been fully satisfied by Christ through his death on the cross for sinners. We are free from the penalty of sin and we are free from the power of sin. Charles Wesley has written in his great hymn, He breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. 
Paul helps us grasp this wonderful truth in the amazing verse 20 of chapter 2. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The sin that once reigned in our mortal bodies, see Romans 6.12, has been put to death with Christ on the cross. And now there is a new king ruling on the throne of our hearts. And this freedom from the penalty of sin and the power of sin must then lead to a newfound freedom from the practice of sin. As heirs and children of God, believers must display the family likeness of a father who is perfectly and utterly holy. And this is possible, Paul explains, verse 16 of our text, since when you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The freedom the gospel offers is not freedom to do whatever I want, but rather the freedom that is found in having the power to do everything that I ought. This is freedom from the pursuit of selfish interests that once urged me down a pathway to hell and is now the freedom to live as the creator had always intended. These are the things that now in Christ we're free from. But what are we free to? Again, verse 13, Paul says, You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. When you read of Paul writing of the flesh, it's helpful if you think about it like this. First of all, take the H off the end of the word and then Turn the rest of it around, leaving self. The power of the gospel transforms our hearts from living for self to living by the Spirit. There have been those who have attempted to expose Paul's preaching as antinomian, dismissive of the law, accusing him of a message that is not a freedom from sin, but a freedom to sin. Some have taken Paul's message and have sought to exploit his teaching, arguing that now that I'm no longer under the law, I can break the law without consequence. I can lie, steal, murder as I please. And Paul says, no way, Jose. If you misuse your freedom and to make it an excuse to satisfy the desires of the flesh, your freedom will be gone and you will become increasingly enslaved to your selfish appetites. God's children have liberty, not license. You may be free from the constraints of the law, but you are not free to live contrary to the law. Rather, you are free from sin, and so you are free to serve. Again, staying in that 13th verse. For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now the world believes that there is a freedom in deciding for yourself what is right and wrong. 
in determining what is your own acceptable standard of behavior. But Paul explains that that is not the pathway to freedom. Rather, this is just another form of slavery. The only truly free person who ever walked this earth was Jesus. The Russian Orthodox scholar Alexander Shmeman writes, How truly noble, truly human and genuinely free are those who still know what it means to buy before the high and the holy, the true and the beautiful, who know what reverence and respect are who know that bowing down before God is the true condition of freedom and dignity. Indeed, Christ is the only truly free man because he was obedient to his Father to the end and did nothing but the Father's will. To join the church has always meant to enter into Christ's obedience. Elsewhere, as we noted at the start of the service, in Philippians 2, 3 to 5, Paul writes, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus, who came into this world, who lived a perfect life, came to serve. And his ultimate act of service was in his self-giving death upon the cross for our sin. It is as we look at the cross that our hearts are overwhelmed and we are stirred to sing in the words of Isaac Watts' hymn. Where the whole realm of nature mind, that where an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Leo Morris writes, We know love only because we see it in the cross. And to see this love is to be affected by it. Freedom from the law and the fullness of life which belongs to believers is, the, is only to be experienced as we dedicate our lives to loving and caring for others in Christ-honoring, self-giving sacrifice. As I was saying to the boys and girls, it's, it's about being a builder up. The alternative is the life that is concerned only about self, but is ever turned inward. A lifestyle that Augustine first described 1,600 years ago in Latin as incurvatus in se, curved in on oneself. Today we might call it the selfie generation. But by whatever name you choose, it is the most miserable life possible, since it's not how God has designed us to function. Verse 14 explains, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Bible teacher John MacArthur explains the implications of this statement commenting. When a Christian genuinely loves others, he fulfills all the moral elements 
of the Mosaic law. When you become a follower of Jesus, your obligation to the law is in one sense increased since the law is a written description of the heart and nature of God. And as you place yourself under the constraints of love for God and love for others, automatically you keep the law, not out of duty, but out of delight in the one who loved you and who gave himself for you. The freedom of which Paul writes is a freedom from sin and a freedom to serve. But there is much more. It also enables God's people to be free from strife. Verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Here Paul draws for us the word picture of, of two animals engaged in a ferocious battle, ripping one another apart. John Calvin calls this madness. Was this happening in the churches in Galatia? Or was Paul merely issuing a warning as to where their choices were leading? Well, we're not told. But we do know this. A legalistic, law-demanding fellowship inevitably becomes a place where people are chewed up and spat out, where deep wounds are caused and divisions are fostered. The legalistic congregation believes that God is angry with his people and we had better shape up and start keeping the rules if we're ever going to make him happy. The problem is that we inevitably come become like the God we worship. And constant thoughts of an angry God transform worshippers into angry people. The American author and pastor A.W. Tozer once wrote, No church has ever risen above its conception of God. Our enemy, Satan, loves to deceive God's people and legalism is a great weapon in his armoury because it masquerades as morality and to the untrained eye it can look and feel godly, respectable and virtuous. People will look up to and admire the legalist, applauding their attitudes, thus confirming this individual's own sense of rightness. And if, as a legalist, you surround yourself with like-minded people who are also intent on subduing grace, that creates the perfect environment for an ever-increasing toxic legalism to flourish. Some of you have the wounds to prove the point that I'm trying to make. But don't we know that infighting has ever been a major hindrance to the advance of gospel work? You don't have to travel far to, to meet a Christian who's been badly wounded by friendly fire. Perhaps they were once themselves on fire for Christ, but because of critical spirits or jealousy or just the outpouring of embittered hearts, they themselves are now left disheartened and depressed. Martin Luther once wrote, May a merciful God preserve me from a Christian church in which everyone is good. I want to be in a church of the faint-hearted, the field, the feeble and the ailing, who believe 
in the forgiveness of sin. The freedom of which Paul writes is a freedom from sin and a freedom to serve, a freedom from strife and a freedom to subdue the desires of the flesh. Paul is saying that there should be no fighting among the believers, but that there must be fighting within the believer. Presbyterian theologian Joseph Pippa comments, If you are not at war with your lusts and the remnant of sin in you, then you most likely remain unconverted. Do not let the reality of the battle discourage you. The fact that you have these interior wars is to you a sign that you are alive. Imagine you have two children in the backseat of your car and you say, let's go and get something to eat. Let's go to a drive through Where shall we go? And immediately World War Three erupts as one child loves McDonald's and the other loves Kentucky Fried Chicken and they can't come to agreement. They like different things. They have different appetites. And this inevitably leads to conflict. Verse 17, Paul writes, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. In the Christian life, there is this deadly feud between the spirit and the flesh and there can only be one winner and we must never aim for self-sufficiency but utter spiritual dependence. It seems oxymoronic that to gain the victory in the Christian life I must lose and be constantly in surrender to the Holy Spirit and yet it is walking in the spirit that leads me into conformity with the law, verse 18. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Christians are not under the law, not obligated to it, but we live in accordance with the law because being spiritually controlled, we no longer live as we wish, but as God wills. We do not live to please self, but to please him. And as I've said many times, such law adherence then is not out of drudging duty, but out of daily delight. In Greek mythology, the sweet song of the sirens was supposed to have lured many sailors to their death on the rocks. But there are two accounts of those who managed safely to navigate past. In one, Odysseus filled his sailor's ears with wax and then he lashed himself to the mast of the ship so that he would not be urged to jump overboard to his death as he sailed by. But in the other, Jason and his crew of the ship Argo had Orpheus play music on his golden lyre that was far more beautiful and so no thought, no consideration was given to the siren's song. Both captains kept to the course, one by being tightly bound, the other being free to be enraptured by beauty. And it is to this second pattern that the Apostle Paul calls us. 
The law constrains, the gospel captivates. The law enslaves, the gospel enchants. And so it is that the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And in the light of this wonderful good news, we pray as we will shortly sing, you are worthy to be praised with my every thought and deed. O great God of highest heaven, glorify your name through me. Let's pray together. Father, we were made by you to be free. Help us to learn afresh that submission to you the leading of your Holy Spirit is the pathway to perfect freedom. We are free to live as you have perfectly planned for us as we rely on the Spirit's prompting, leading and empowering. Forgive us, Lord, if we try to create this through law obedience. As we try to orchestrate good living by our righteous works. Rather, Lord, may we know your love. May we look afresh to the cross where Christ our Saviour bore our sin that we might be set free. And marvelling in this great act of love, may we love others sacrificially, serve you faithfully and live the life that you designed us to experience. That is ever for our good and always for your glory. Through Christ we pray. Amen.